0: So I'd like to preface this with saying that I'm not crazy.
1: (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll, I'll (laughs) grant you that for the moment. I'll
0: allow it. (laughs) Alex, the the courtroom judge of my soul, says he'll allow that I'm not crazy for now. For the moment. This line of questioning is okay. Back in March,
1: Amy, you wrote a blog post that sort of caught on like wildfire. A little bit, yeah. And it was, uh, it was nice to see something like that. And this post is a little bit different from a lot of the stuff that you'd put out recently in that it was super tactical about the SaaS business that you and Thomas have, Freckle. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it was?
0: Sure. I called it Five Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Started My SaaS. I think that was the title. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, Went through some permutations. And I actually don't think that it was tactical. I just went through five things that were sort of more deeper philosophical things, actually, I think, that I wish I had known before I started Freckle in 2008. And by I, I mean myself and my husband, Thomas.
1: Do you have an idea of why that might have caught on like wildfire? Did you see any particular responses like on Twitter or in our email replies that stood out to you?
0: So I think a lot of people who were sort of established already with a software as a service business really liked it because I think there's some universal truths in there. And so they were like, yeah, this basically. And then it spread among their network of people who were aspiring to do or be where we are.
1: Cool. So this is stuff that's learned now eight years into running Freckle as a business that applies universally across lots of kinds of businesses, but also applies back to lessons that you learned early on in the business.
0: Yeah. It spans the entire gamut. Actually, the ironic thing about most of the lessons is that I didn't just learn them once. I kind of had to Keep learning them again and again in various permutations thereof. So you, th- it's like whack-a-mole. It's like you think you've whacked the mole and therefore your, your problems are over. But it turns out there's a whole bunch of other moles just waiting to pop up.
1: Which is actually the first of really the, the lessons in it that we're going to talk about today, uh, which was that there's always another inflection point coming. Right. And so uh, when, when we were talking about this before we sat down today, you know, the idea that there's this feeling wherever you are in the (laughs) life cycle of a business or maybe just life in general, that if only that one thing would happen, everything would suddenly magically become easier. And I feel like that's just as true, if not even more true in business. And that's sort of the point that you were trying to make there, right?
0: I actually like that you called it a feeling because it's a feeling and it's a lie, (laughs) Yeah. When you start a business, you think, OK, if only I can hit this revenue amount or if only I can grow my staff to a certain size or if only I can attract this one major customer, you think that everything is going to be easy. Or you think if I can just ship this part of the book, or if I can just finish this section of the app, if I can ship this feature or, or get this office or whatever, you think that everything's going to be easy. And even
1: when those things are attainable, like you could do it, whether it's now or in the next few steps, it doesn't matter.
0: Nope. (laughs) Um, you get there and then you realize it doesn't actually make everything easy, that there's something else that you have to do that will make everything easy. And then you get there and you realize that everything's not easy yet. So you're going to come up with another goal that if only you could reach, uh, suddenly everything will be easy. And, uh, it's actually inflection points all the way down. There's, there's no point at which everything becomes easy.
1: Yeah. The way I always think about it is like, you don't, actually make problems go away. You just trade them for new problems. Yeah. And even when you do a really good job of solving the problem, you've usually just traded up for a new, potentially bigger, harder-to-solve problem.
0: Life is suffering, says the Buddha. Now, that's not <laughs>
1: that's not to say that you shouldn't set out to do it. Right. Right. So uh, that would be helpful to sort of rewind the clock, you know, seven or eight years towards the beginning of Freckle about what some of those early hypotheses were that if we just did this one thing it would be easier were and a sort of how you pushed through it to actually get it done and then what was the realization on the other side so from your memory what would be one of the earliest examples in the arc of you running a product business that you were thinking to yourself or you and thomas were sitting there going well we just got to do this and then and then we'll be in a better spot
0: so the obvious first inflection point or you think if we can just get to this point everything will be easy is launch i didn't actually sit there and think after we launch though everything will be rainbows and puppies or kittens i don't actually like puppies rainbows and kittens and everything will be easy and we'll be rolling in money i didn't actually believe any of that i knew there would be work that would be continuing after launch but i thought that that would be the last major stressful push which is a load of horse shit (laughs) <laughs> we launched. And of course, then there was more work. And actually the thing about launching is if everything is building up to launch afterwards, you launch and you get like depressed, not like full on clinical or anything right. like no, that. No, not real depression, but you spent all your mental energy looking forward to this point, And then you're there and you haven't really thought too much about what do you do after that. And so you don't have a plan and also you're kind of tired. And so you're like, Ugh. You You just kind of want to roll around and grunt for a little bit.
1: You also go from this stage of knowing exactly what you're working on, sort of working step-by-step towards this goal in the best-case scenario, and then all of a sudden it's done and you haven't planned the next step. And in my experience, the worst thing you can do to yourself is not know what the next step is going to be before you get there.
0: That is so very true, and that's what we tell our students right from now, from personal experiences, that launch is only another day, and that the work continues, and you should have a plan for what you're doing, because when you don't have a plan, then you're inclined to sit on your butt and mope a little bit. It's so much easier when you're working in isolation towards launch to imagine all kinds of fantasy scenarios where everything is amazing and perfect and wonderful, Um, and then, well, As the old saying goes, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And in this case, the enemy is reality. So once your project's actually out there, you have to deal with all kinds of things that you maybe didn't anticipate.
1: Including simply just keeping up momentum.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I did not anticipate that. So that was an inflection point that didn't fulfill its promise. (laughs) And of course, the next biggest inflection point is being able to live off the revenue from Freckle. So uh, when Freckle launched, we launched to a waiting list. And our very first month of billings, we did $1,500, which is actually pretty, pretty good for a the service. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what? $20,000 a year?
1: Not enough for two. It's it's like
0: $18,000 a year.
1: Definitely not enough for two people who were previously relatively high paid consultants to replace your income. Not even close.
0: No, we were living in Austria at the time. And so we were earning in dollars and spending in euros that wouldn't have even paid our rent which sounds really bougie now that I say it out loud, but $1,500 a month was nothing like enough to justify Freckle's existence. I knew it was going to be that way. We knew we were going to grow it. And so I thought that as soon as we could get Freckle to enough revenue to live off it, everything would be easy because in the meantime, we'd have to kind of hustle. We'd have to do consulting. We'd have to do other stuff to pay our actual bills and essentially borrow money from those other endeavors to pay for Freckle. Gotcha, gotcha. It's tempting to imagine that if a pot of gold were to suddenly appear and you had all this money, that suddenly everything would be easy. But if you or your friends have ever gotten venture capital, you know, that actually it only makes things worse. <laughs> so there's a fantasy that a certain revenue amount will will make everything easy. And it's just not true. It took us a long time in my, from my perspective, to get Freckle to the point where we could live off it.
1: What was that time period? It was about 18 months. Okay. And we've heard that number before. Lots of friends yeah. who started their first SaaS you know, with audience from scratch, you know, 12 to 18 months to be hitting a salary-replacing yep. revenue
0: goal. When I gave a talk at LesConf a few years ago, I actually polled a bunch of our business friends and asked them how long did it take to get to $100,000 run rate. And it was between 9 and 20 months for everybody.
1: So remarkably consistent. And that's not to say that you can't do it faster, but that there's not a lot of things that you could do to get it faster that wouldn't just create additional problems somewhere else in the matrix of things that you then need to deal with, work on, and and so on and so forth. I feel
0: like there are essentially laws of physics. It's like when you're in line at the grocery store and you think you're going to change lanes um, (laughs) and it's going to go faster. It really doesn't. You you cannot make the grocery lanes go faster.
1: There's a uh, it's like an internal psychology. It's the same thing as like pressing the button to cross the the street. And like <laughs> that button probably doesn't actually do anything. It's there to make you feel like you had some sort of control over it. And I think that's what you're really talking about here is all these inflection points. What they do for us is they are a moment where we feel like, and it comes back to that lie. It feels like we get to exert control over something. It's temporary, but it fulfills that feeling. And once the feeling is done, then you're sort of left to face reality and say, well, I felt like I was in control, but was I really?
0: Yeah. I don't know if I really was. I mean, you're in control of a lot of things, but you're, you're not necessarily in control of the outcomes.
1: Right, exactly. You can't control that whether or not people sign up for your service.
0: No, you can't. You can only try to do all the right things, um, and it doesn't necessarily work the way you want or as fast as you want. Right. I feel like the sales process, and I don't even mean like, high-touch sales. I mean, the time it takes from someone to hear about you, go to your website, read your website, decide they're going to try it, and then actually buy it and implement it and all that stuff, that takes time no matter how much money or effort you throw at it.
1: So so we're talking about a pretty early stage in Freckles' existence where even out of the gate, you had a measurable success, a product that's billing $1,500, $1,800 a month, Yep, not enough to replace your income, but nope. that is the next major goal. Mm-hmm. And you had to do, you were saying that you were doing other things along the way to sort of yeah. fill in the gaps and, and pay those bills so that you didn't have to go to consulting. Right. And, and, and talk a little bit more about that.
0: Oh, well, um, we consulted for a while. It wasn't until a bit later uh, into the process of having Freckle launched to the world that we, and by we, I mean I, decided I could not consult anymore. I, I know I didn't want to consult anymore, but I thought, ah, I've been doing this for years and years. I can tough it out. It wasn't until December 2009 that I decided that I was totally done and would do anything I had to do to not consult anymore. But by that point, we had created a couple other sort of producty type things to help sort of plug the gaps in our income from freckle so we had done uh, a book called javascript performance rocks and we had also been doing javascript workshops so we had done the first couple workshops live in a venue and sold tickets and seats and literally had to fly there to present a couple cases we rented our own venue and we'd also done it at a couple corporate locations right but then we realized that was just not sustainable and so we started doing it online every month.
1: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So you, you're, th- that's adjacent to Freckle, in a lot of ways, a totally different audience.
0: Totally different audience.
1: So it's really purely working on plugging the financial gap Yep. entirely. And within building those even, so uh, you mentioned before, it's like there's inflection points all the way down. Was there an inf- any inflection points inside the JavaScript performance rocks and the JavaScript workshops that you know, while people are working on these financial gap plugging products they might run into as well?
0: I think it's in large part the same inflection points. So we thought that once we had, you know, developed the workshop itself, that everything would be easy or that. So we we sold beta copies of the book and that wasn't like, hold on, dialing back the memories here. Insert a montage with dates and clocks <laughs> running backwards. <laughs> okay, so that was and I believe we shipped the beta version in January 2009 because it was right before we went to New Zealand for Webstock. Right, so right, It right, had right. to be. It had to be January, February 2009.
1: And you said a beta was a beta that, I mean, version. So incomplete,
0: incomplete, edited, incomplete.
1: Oh, got it. Uh, well, and just for for our listeners' sake, like where did you like where did you draw the line in terms of okay, we've got to get this out there. Like, what was missing? What did like what did it have and what was missing for it to be an alpha or a beta?
0: I don't remember. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> it was not complete, though. What I do remember is spending long nights working on the book after that. So I think there were multiple chapters there, and also laid out, uh, typeset, and InDesign. Which, by the way, don't do that. But there was a lot of missing content Thomas was still running benchmarks and tests and it wasn't all beautifully written and there was definitely like a, at least half of the book not there and that is how the the book publishers that do this the technical books they ship beta books they're not complete they're, beta is really a misnomer it's really an alpha but it took us about a year to finish it okay on, on and off
1: so, so okay, so we've got inflection point one. We just need to cre- like create this book, and then you create the book in this alpha format. You ship it. You've made some sales. Yeah. That gets things going. We made a lot
0: more sales than we thought, actually.
1: Which is great, but now you've made you've pre-sold a bunch of copies of a book that's not done.
0: Yep, that was stressful. I, that's why I don't recommend doing that. Our students often were like, well, this internet celebrity says to pre-sell something, just test the market for it, but then um, no one talks about the psychological weight that you have from having sold something that doesn't exist and having to essentially backfill that work.
1: And talk about lessons that need to be learned multiple times. How many times have you and I done that with 30 by 500? I can count at least two, maybe even three times in history that that we've done that.
0: Yeah. It's more like four or five. I was being
1: conservative. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You guys should see my face right now. I think it's, I think I must have a a hunted look. (laughs) Um, Definitely had to learn that a bunch of times. It's so tempting and expedient to be like, well, I have the outline and I know everything's going to get need to get done to sell this. I'm going to sell it now and take the money. And sometimes, you know, you kind of have to do that. But it is a mistake. Better to ship a smaller product that's done-ish than to get pre-sales for something that's huge.
1: So inflection point being, we just need to finish if this If we just thing. finish
0: this, everything will be easy. Okay. And so actually, I thought that, selling the beta copy, then it would essentially fund its own development. And then that would be easy. And actually, I think, I mean, we finished it. A lot of people never finish their books. We did finish it. Um, and we finished it in a normal publishing timeline to finish a technical book inside a year is pretty good, but it was a weight on me the entire time. It was like, ah, oh, I have to do this. And instead of being excited to finish it, I felt like it was all duty and I don't like that feeling. So when we did finish it, that that was great. However, that doesn't continue to sell copies as we all know launch day is so overrated for selling that then you have to create your marketing toolkit and you have to create your marketing content and so on and so forth and we actually didn't do a very good job of that so the amount of money that javascript performance rocks make, i think was really abbreviated compared to what it could be if we had done it correctly
1: so you've got that and you're past that inflection point and now you're you're into, well, you are using the money from JavaScript Rocks as and, and the workshops and things like that to help fund development work in Freckle Forward. Is that right?
0: Not exactly. So we weren't literally taking JavaScript Performance Rocks money and paying somebody with it. We were essentially using it to buy our own time to continue working on something that was not paying for itself.
1: So that's investment mindset. Investment in, mindset. In action right there. And
0: also, um, I've written about this under the heading be your own angel is to come up with the money that you need to free yourself to build the thing that will actually become your business
1: even in relatively small components totally right so you're not talking about buying all the time you need it's buying just a little bit at a time
0: i honestly think that having all the time in the world means that you'll never finish
1: That's a really good point. That's a really, really good point.
0: (laughs) So if people are out there listening to this podcast thinking, gosh, if only I had six months of runway to quit my job and do nothing but work on my amazing software as a service then I would launch it and have all this money, you're fooling yourself. What will happen when you have infinite time is your product will keep growing and then you will not launch it. And if you do launch it, you'll discover that it takes nine to 18 months to come up with a salary replacement. So don't
1: do it. Without inserting myself into the story or distracting too far, although I'm, I'm actually going to do that. You
0: just, just stop apologizing just do it.
1: <laughs> uh, one of the things that I, I've done in the past for myself and I've also advised other people to do is instead of trying to replace all of your expenses at once, look, break it down into smaller components. So what would it take for you to ship and sell something that replaces your cell phone bill? In that's recurring revenue awesome. or products. You've like, never shared this with me, and I love that. Right. So, like, something super attainable. We're talking about under $200 a month. You can absolutely ship something that makes under $200 a month. And once you've got the confidence to have your cell phone bill paid for, then move to your car payment. Move to your, you know, home utilities. You work your way up to the bigger expenses. And then before you know it, all your expenses are covered, but you know exactly what it takes to keep adding to it. Yeah. And that's your gravy. That is awesome.
0: That is stacking the money bricks.
1: I'm stacking the money bricks. <laughs> so they're better than other bricks. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So and, and the beautiful thing about that is is inside each one of those components, you also have a bunch of things you can control where you could look at and say, All right, there's an expense that is maybe out of my reach, but I can break it into smaller parts, yep. or maybe I can even reduce it. I'm not telling you that you need to reduce costs in order to reach them, but once you're within a smaller contained component it's much easier to look at that critically than when you're looking at an entire month's worth of expenses all as one unit
0: yeah i think that's an excellent point and i think people who are not familiar with running their own business they haven't even thought of that like the way that i and you and you know brennan and all of our business friends think about money is there's this thing i want to do how can i pay for it so Many of us have launched a small product or worked on something in order to pay for something that we wanted to do or that we needed to pay for. Right. It's not a familiar mindset to people who are used to working for a living at jobs. And all of that
1: being said, even that approach has an inflection point because then when you get good at paying for the things you want, you start wanting new things. Like I'm compared to a lot of my friends a pretty serious minimalist in terms of things that I have. That doesn't mean that I don't find new ways to spend money. I just find new ways to spend money.
0: Whose law is it that work expands to fill the time available?
1: I don't know. We've talked about it before on the show though. I feel
0: like it's Parkinson's law. I think that's right. There's too many fucking laws named after old dudes. Anyway, (laughs) I think it's Parkinson's law, um, that work expands to fill the time available. And I think the same thing is true about lifestyle or, or aspirations is that you buy the house and then you love your house for multiple years and then you're like, now I need a cabin. And by you, I mean me. <laughs> I, I bought a cabin in the in the woods, in the mountains. And it, it was a stressful period because the money, mortgage brokers are crazy. But um, I mean, I was, that was definitely a motivator for me to, to work on the new 30 by 500. One of, you know, many.
1: So to pull us back into the article and these inflection points yep. in your story... Let's talk maybe something a little bit later stage in the story, Uh, more recent inflection points, because you have a fairly mature business creeping up on a million dollars a
0: year in recurring revenue. It's not super close to a million dollars a year. It's not quite $700,000 a year right now. Getting there. getting there, yeah. But but
1: growth. You're on a trajectory to be able to get there. That sounds awesome. Lots of people would love to be in that position. But once again problems don't go away you just trade them for new problems
0: yes it's Rudy's rutabaga rule
1: now (laughs) I know we've talked about that before because that's the kind of thing that hits my brain and goes you've heard this before and the last time you thought to yourself (laughs) that's amazing how have I never heard that before what is it so I'm going to play Alzheimer's patient right now and say Amy that's amazing I've never heard of it before even though I'm pretty sure I have what is it
0: Well, it helps that you don't actually remember what it was. I legitimately don't. As soon as you
1: tell me, I might remember, but I'm going to go into this assuming that I don't.
0: Rudy's Rutabaga Rule, which you must say like that because otherwise your tongue will get all tied up, (laughs) is from The Secrets of Consulting by Gerald Weinberg. He tells a story, an apocryphal business book story, you know how it goes, um, about a young... Man who works at a grocery store and he's just got a new job and he's like super into showing how useful he is to his boss and being really efficient. And his job is to stock the produce. And so he goes to his boss because he's noticed something and he says, Boss, Rutabag is our poorest performing produce. I just
1: remembered this story, but keep going.
0: And the boss is like, Yes, and, and Rudy says, well, if we get rid of rutabagas, our overall profitability will increase because people just really don't buy rutabagas. And his boss, who's clearly been in the grocery store business for a long time, says yes, and then what will be our lowest-performing produce? So you can get rid of rutabagas, but then, I don't know, acorn squash might be your next worst product. Because who the hell buys acorn squash? Actually, a lot of people. Acorn squash is a, a terrible example. They're very popular <laughs> right now. They're, they're trending on Pinterest. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I believe you. Acorn squashes were totally big this past fall season. <laughs> Alex is just shaking his head at me. I don't, I things I didn't need to know today. They taste great, That's you can stop them with sausage and quinoa, and it's like incredibly hipster and also delicious.
1: We're pivoting this into we're a pivoting cooking this. show, cooking show,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but. The thing is, you can eliminate your biggest problem, and then your next biggest problem will suddenly be your biggest problem. It is problems all the way down. You cannot escape problems. There will always be a biggest problem. And the only question is, is it tolerable or not? Or would the next biggest problem be a better biggest problem?
1: I think that's a really good way to think about it is – if, and I was thinking about this in terms of uh, a lot of the things that are going on with the new Indy Hall build, too. Is like I'm looking at the problems and going, if we've got a bunch of bad options, what's the best of the bad options? I, I have to choose at some point, and I'm worse off if I don't choose at all. So yeah. what's the best of the worst? Let's go.
0: Absolutely. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Nothing quite like a construction project to teach you where you will compromise. <laughs>
1: True, true. So my
0: rule of thumb that I came up with after working through our office remodel, which was fairly extensive but not as big as yours, and also thinking about what we're going to do to our house. When I think about the construction that we're going to do to our 1740s row house, it's extremely stressful to me because I feel an obligation to protect the house as much as possible because it's going to outlast us. So the solution, the rule of thumb I came to was if I bought it like this – proposed idea how would i feel about it so when you start out do something new you think it has to be perfect we have to get to this point it has to look like this it has to be like this it has to earn this much money it has to have these features or whatever from zero to this imaginary perfect place when actually something that's like 60 to 80 percent there if you had that you would be really happy
1: with and it. you can always build on it and evolve it and grow it but yep. if you never get to that starting point, you, can, you
0: have nothing to build on top of. You have nothing to grow. Nothing to grow, right. So um, it was a hard lesson to learn in the sort of renovation area of life, but we've been telling our students forever that to run a business like this, you have to be willing to live at 80% all the time. Nothing is ever done. Like even people, they make a physical product and they ship it, and there's still issues. There's always an issue. There's always something that can be better. Um, there's no perfect product there's no actual done. And you think, if I only get this inflection point, I'll be done. Well, great. You'll get to that inflection point. And then standing on that local maximum peak, right, you'll look around and think, oh, well, there's a higher peak. Well, oh, um, these shoes didn't really work really well coming this peak. I need better footwear.
1: This actually translates to even very, very large operations. Yeah. I was just listening to an episode of Planet Money about the technology that UPS uses to shave pennies at a time that add up to – hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in savings Ooh. in their business, uh, in time and fuel costs and operations and turnover. It was a really, really interesting way of looking at how they even, but the, but the changes they make are small and incremental. The changes they make are, they're small and incremental, but they compound. And right. They absolutely. Add up in a big way. So I think it's office space. It's so interesting how that pattern continues to grow and the i think the most important thing here is realizing these lessons and learning these lessons early on and actually embracing them and making them part of how you operate and make decisions means that as you get bigger instead of expecting things to somehow get easier instead you just get better at looking for these kinds of trade-offs and making an analysis of saying how do i trade this off in the most valuable way that i'm capable of that i know how to do and being okay with it not being perfect but being better in the right direction.
0: Yeah. If you don't learn to be okay with it not being perfect, you are going to want to die all the time.
1: Die all the time.
0: <laughs> You're going to be miserable and wonder what's wrong with you and, and be unhappy, and there's a recipe for unhappiness. I think, I think that's really an incremental improvement. I mean, that's what we preach. Right? Stacking the bricks. That's right. Getting better at this and that and making a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there, and growing that over time. Because if you don't start stacking that first brick because it's not perfectly rectilinear and 100% platonic smooth surface on all sides, you will literally never make a brick.
1: Yeah. You can't get to brick 10 unless you start with brick 1.
0: Yeah. Sidebar, I recently learned that bricking in certain slang English means shitting. So... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Relevant side note?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, other inflection points with Freckle or our products, like, if only I finished this version of 30 by 500, it will be amazing and everything will be perfect and all students will succeed. (laughs) Turns out that's not true.
1: Right. And we're still learning new ways of what we have to add in terms of support structures and communication and... Also changing how, you know, now that we've got a product that makes it easier to launch, we have to completely change the way we launch.
0: It is really true. It literally never ends.
1: But if we go into it with that mindset and and instead of being surprised by it, we say, this is going to be there and this is mental gymnastics. And I'll be totally honest up front and say that. Absolute mental gymnastics. However, if you choose to go in and say, I'm going to do this and know that there's a new challenge around the corner instead of being surprised by it. And it's the, I think it's the surprise that it lets it turn into angst. I it's the same agree. thing as, you know, po- the post-launch depression. It's the surprise that there's nothing certain to do next. If you know there's nothing certain to do next, you can do something about it. Totally. Even in that moment. But setting yourself up to remove those surprises I think that's just a universally valuable approach to, to decision-making. Yeah,
0: you cannot change the reality that there's always another problem. Right, right, right. So the only thing you can change is yourself.
1: Very, very zen.
0: I know. But there's a reason that is at the core of every philosophy basically ever, including nihilism <laughs> and all religions.
1: So uh, as we wrap up, I'm I'm wondering if in the most recent years of this mature business, have there been any particular inflection points that were challenging or surprising to you?
0: So this sort of gets into the next part of the essay, but I believe I'm very much not alone when I thought that being able to hire staff would make everything easier. Having the money to be able to hire a team to help outsource some of the work did not work for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> teams are difficult people are challenging people they, are challenging you're not just dealing with your own internal psychologies like we're talking about now you've got the psychologies of a bunch of everybody else and their interconnectedness and things like that so why don't we treat that as our, our closing point for today's episode and think about for the next episode talking about the surprising challenges of hiring a team while building a SaaS business
0: sounds good to me